The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is one in our new series about family caregiving in North America's faith-based and culture-based communities. You see, North America, as we all know, is home to so many communities and so many people from so many faith and culture-based communities. But right across all of these communities and common to them all is the challenge to family caregivers of ill health in family members. So to discuss family caregiving in North America's Jewish community, our guests today are Rochelle Wilner and Dr. Rachel Goldberg. Rochelle has held many positions with B'nai B'rith Canada, for which she served as national president for three years. She's long been interested in issues affecting the community, such as education. She's been active in programs for combating anti-Semitism, along with all forms of discrimination and hate. She's worked with many multicultural, ethnic, and community groups to encourage and promote mutual understanding, cooperation, and partnership. She served on many anti-hate and human rights advisory committees, and she's a highly sought-after speaker. She's the recipient of various awards for her efforts on behalf of the Jewish community and on behalf of Canadian social justice. Her awards include the Queen's Golden Jubilee Medal. She's a certified teacher in the province of Ontario with additional qualifications in special education. In 2008, she was a candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada in the federal election. Dr. Rachel Goldberg has been with B'nai B'rith International since 2003. She's the Director of Aging Policy, which covers health care, housing, and other issues of particular importance for older adults. She develops and oversees community programs on age-related issues like aging in place, identity theft, Medicare, and health care reform. She's responsible for drafting and presenting policy options to the Brene Brith International's Board of Governors. She advocates for Brene Brith International policies in Washington. And before joining Brene Brith International, she was an assistant professor of government and politics at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington, where the courses she taught included Congress and the presidency. She holds a PhD 
a master's in government from Georgetown University and a bachelor's degree in history and political science from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Welcome to the show, Rochelle and, Rich- and Rachel. Thank you. Well, thank you for ha- thank you for having us. Now I'm going to wake you, make your work, <laughs> Rochelle. First of all, please tell us about your experience with family caregiving through Benebris in Canada. Well, part of Benebris' mandate is people helping people, and part of our Jewish mandate is to kunalam, to heal the world, to do what we can to help the lives of others, to enrich their lives and to help them. Uh, healing is, is just something that we grow up with, that we must do whatever we can to help others. Uh, the neighborhood Canada, to the extent that it can, has affordable housing units in partnership with government. That is, rents are subsidized for those seniors in particular who uh, are unable to pay for regular market value apartments. And because these buildings are the neighborhood buildings, there's a a caregiving, I would call it a caregiving component. The organization ensures that there are active programs for the residents of those buildings. The programs include activities. It could be uh, exercise three times a week, bingo, speakers brought in, outings to community events and programs. Um, we have buildings in Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. In Montreal, the care the, the caregiving component is a little bit higher because a hot meal, a hot kosher lunch is provided to the residents on a daily basis, and it's mandatory for them to participate in the lunch program to live in that building, and that's to ensure that these um, residents have a good lunch, a nutritious lunch, and that they have the social experience that uh, that coming together for lunch offers. In addition, we are building an Alzheimer facility, uh, a private facility for Alzheimer patients. It will house 43 people in Toronto. And again, because we're a community-based organization, a percentage of the residents will be subsidized. It will be a private, private business, but there will be subsidized beds for those who might need them. None of it is enough, but it, it's a start. We also have a lunch program. Rochelle, I'm just going to interrupt you now because time always on radio, you know, is a tyranny. And we're going to have a chance to come back to some of these other, other things you, you, you want to talk about. Okay. So let me switch to Rachel now. I want sure. the same question. Your experience with family caregiving through Brene Briss in the U.S. Well, one of the things that's wonderful about having Rochelle go first is that uh, I can second a lot of what she says in terms of what happens in the U.S. We also have a housing program with 38 buildings across the country. And one of the things that that's allowed the organization to do is see firsthand some of the challenges as people age. And those challenges aren't just faced by the individual who has an apartment in one of our buildings, but also we see the trouble that the family has in trying to fill that family caregiver role. So as we've gone through the last 40 or 50 years um, trying to establish housing and having those units, it's given us a window onto not only issues like Medicare and Social Security and how important those things are and how people rely on them, but also how difficult it can be for an older person to navigate the labyrinth of services and programs and options and issues 
and cracks in that system, and then how difficult it can be to come in as a friend or family member trying to help someone navigate that, not knowing entirely what the needs are going to be, not knowing what services are out there, and that's something that we've looked at in a variety of different ways. We've tried to um, support family caregiver programs funded by the federal government whenever we can. There are some programs, but there is a lot more that we need to do, and so a lot of the B'nai B'rith work here in the U.S. has been on the policy front, dealing with policymakers in Washington and talking to our coalition partners who do aging issues across the spectrum inside and outside the Jewish community and talking to them about how we can recognize the importance of family caregivers. And once we've recognized that, how we can address their needs so that they can do what they need to do in taking care of the needs of the family member. Right. So, Again, I'm sorry, I'm going to just interrupt you because okay. I have a couple Hello. of other questions in this slot. Now, I want to tell you to tell us, both of you, starting with Rochelle, about your experience with family caregiving in your own extended families. First, Rochelle, please. Uh, my own personal experience was actually quite minimal. I was very fortunate that, uh, that both my, my parents did not require tremendous caregiving, at least uh, not on my part and not for any extended time. But my parents did have health issues uh, and were hospitalized many times, and I found that my main role was to be their advocate. Uh, as Rachel said, navigating the system is a challenge, and it's a bigger challenge for somebody who isn't well, and it's an even bigger challenge when someone is a senior and not well and, and quite nervous about their condition. Uh, our healthcare system in Canada is quite different from that in the United States. It has many benefits, but it also has many detractions, and uh, wait times for appointments cannot be avoided. Wait times for certain tests that are essential can't be avoided. But I must say that in, in critical times when issues were of utmost importance, those wait times were, were disregarded. Uh, dealing with the hospital staff was was probably one of the biggest challenges I faced because our nurses are not a happy group. Many of them are part-timers. The hospitals are saving money by cutting back on full-time staff. They don't have to pay benefits when people work part-time. So when you're dealing with nurses who are not gratified by their work conditions, uh, they they have no choice but to take it out on their patients in many cases. Right. A sad story, and we're going to talk a bit more about that later on. Rachel, your own experience with family caregiving. I think that my experience, uh, it feels certainly unique, but is probably less, becoming less so in the United States. I'm 40 years old, and perfectly comfortable mentioning that. And a few years ago when I had my first child, my parents, who are uh, now 75 and 69, they came down to see their new grandchild, their first and, and then only grandchild, and decided to stay. And so since that time, in the last just under two and a half years, my parents have lived with me during the week, and the, they've had the opportunity to be family caregivers taking care of my now three children. And um, I've had the opportunity to help them with things um, that I think I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. I've been able to do simple things for them like driving to pick up their pills in the evening so that they don't have to do that since they don't really like to drive at night. And um, 
and helping them with medical appointments they need to make and figuring out how to deal with Medicare. They're in my house, so we're able to work on things like that together, but they're also serving as caregivers, which may be a somewhat unusual experience now. It's certainly the way people used to do things, and uh, it's it's been a wonderful opportunity for me to both see the implications of some of the policy I talk about all day at work, but also for my family. I think it's been wonderful. Yeah, you've been living the experience. Now, we are going into the break because we do have to pay the rent. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you know what a brat is? No, we're not talking about that kind of brat. Brat stands for British Regimental Attached Traveler. It was adopted by American culture after World War II when American military began long-term assignments at U.S. military installations worldwide. Learn about the Brat Culture, the Lost Tribe, by tuning in to BratCon Radio with host Dennis Campbell and co-creator Pat Caves. There are almost 8 million living brats. Hear from them and from guests who studied or examined them. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. Our topic is family caregiving in the Jewish community. Now, let's talk about the challenges that family caregivers caregiving creates for members of your communities across North America. Rachel, first, what currently are the challenges that predominate in the Jewish community in the U.S., and what are the most important implications of these challenges as you see them? I think one of the challenges that faces family caregivers in the U.S., and particularly in the Jewish community, is a question of demographics. The Jewish community is an older population largely because we've had kids later and we've had fewer kids, so on average we're an older bunch. But that means that for people facing, you know, having an elderly parent who needs care, there are frankly fewer kids to split up those responsibilities. But also because we've had children 
older and the next generation has children older, we're finding a lot more people who are sort of in between trying to address the needs of their parents and also address the needs of their kids. And we're finding college tuition backing up against uh, the needs of taking care of your own retirement and your retired parents. So I think that the, the, the demographics are difficult for people. There are also difficulties in, uh, I think, recognition. It's not just that family caregivers want to be appreciated. Everybody wants to be appreciated. But the lack of recognition for what family caregivers do and how important it is and how much money it saves the rest of the system means that some of the protections aren't in place, some of the services aren't in place, and some of the protections in maybe the workplace aren't there. So because we don't really acknowledge that a woman going home after her full day at work and not only taking care of her own home but going to see her elderly aunt or mother and check in on her, we don't really see that as a public service because it's your family, but it is a public service. It does help the community as a whole, and it does save that community money. So by not really recognizing how much of it goes on and what burdens there are for family caregivers, I think we do ourselves a sort of systematic disservice. Right. I'm going to come back to that later on, but Rochelle, the challenges that predominate in the Jewish community in Canada and the implications as you see them. Rochelle? Well, I think, I think the points that Rachel made are valid for Canada as well, uh, but, but somewhat different in that the demographics of a city like Montreal are, are exactly what Rachel was talking about, where the Jewish community is aging and most of their children have moved away. So the caregivers are not there. The family caregivers just aren't there. Uh, in Toronto, we have a very strong, vibrant Jewish community, and um, the, the issues are somewhat different. But, but up front, let me say that I don't think that the challenges facing the Jewish community are all that different from the challenges facing any other ethnic community. I think generally we're all living longer and we're healthier longer. And given that, caregivers, especially the children, are older when they begin their caregiving. And I think one of the bigger problems is that many of the caregivers are themselves retired and, and some of them have their own health issues to deal with at the time they begin caregiving. And it's, um, it's unique to the Jewish community that very few facilities are ready to accept uh, residents because of the kosher food requirement. And for that reason, the Jewish community has stepped in and has created institutions such as our Baycrest Hospital that's known worldwide and Home for Seniors and private, uh, private homes, B'nai B'rith homes, the one in Montreal, in order to accommodate the need for kosher food. It doesn't sound like a very big thing, but to someone who has had kosher food all their life, it's a terrifying thought for them not to be able to have access um, in their senior years. Yeah, follow that. Um, Rachel, you've mentioned some of the challenges and their impact. Please, I interrupted you. Please go on with discussing the challenges and their impact. well, one of the things that I, I mentioned that I think is particularly problematic right now, given the economic circumstances that everybody's looking at, is that we find people in what we traditionally think of as middle age 
now having to make choices that are very difficult. They're trying to make choices about when and whether to retire while they're trying to send kids to college and also deal with aging parents. And so we're finding finances strained for that family caregiver and some maybe some pressure to stay in the workforce. Meanwhile, trying to be a family caregiver makes it very difficult to maintain yourself in the workforce, working a 40-hour week and doing all the things you may need to do, including travel and other, and, and other things that are necessary for some people's jobs. So one of the problems, I think, is that we don't really recognize what that role is and the ways in which employers can and maybe should be finding ways to accommodate those needs. Um, we also don't recognize the impact that this has on the health of the caregiver. And, you know, we don't want to make it sound like it's terrible to be a family caregiver. It's, you know, helping take care of the people who used to take care of you in many cases. But we need to recognize that it's not easy and there are bumps and there are problems in ways that it can cause depression and other health problems. And we need to acknowledge them not so that we can complain about them, but so that we can address them. And we haven't been very good at systematically doing that, maybe because we think of this as just what you do in a family or maybe because it's traditionally been a w- part of a woman's role. But we don't really recognize that this puts real strain on families and that there are ways to address that. There are ways by acknowledging it and treating caring for a parent the same way we treat caring for a child that your employer could be more understanding if you need to take a day to take care of your mom, just like if you need to stay home with a sick kid. Not that every employer is understanding about that. Right, right. Rochelle, it's the same question. I interrupted you. Please go on with the examples of challenges and their impact. Well, I think with the capacity today to keep people living longer and living independently for a longer time and then, you know, finding out that they have... uh, disabilities, physical, mental uh, issues to deal with and will require years of support and care. For example, you know, children who find out one or both of their parents have dementia. Uh, coping with, all, with physical failings can have a huge impact on the family and on the health care system. On a personal level, I can share a very recent issue. A cousin of my mother's passed away just a week ago. He was in a residential home for over 12 years, and his wife, who is in relatively fine health, visited him every single day for eight or nine hours. Uh, he passed away a week ago, and she is lost. It's up to her children now to, I mean, they, they were supportive before and were with her every day. One of them was always with her um, to the extent that they could be. But now it's up to them to deal with her and, and find a way to motivate her to be a, a, a participant in life again. And it can be very difficult when the children who are doing that are themselves in their 60s. Right. Rachel, I'm going to switch over to you and ask you this. Um, what about the impact on the healthcare system in the U.S.? And I'm thinking of two things. First of all, there may be a negative impact of what's going on, but there may also be a kind of subsidy yeah. from family healthcare giving to the U.S. system. What do you say? I definitely think that overall there is a subsidy being given to the U.S. healthcare system 
and to probably several other systems, our social service systems, by having so many family caregivers. The best estimate we have is that about 375 billion billion B as in boy billion dollars worth of services are provided by family caregivers every year in the United States. And those are services that would either not be provided at all for, you know, usually an aging parent, which might result in an institutionalization, a nursing home setting that isn't really necessary because otherwise the person wouldn't be able to leave the house or do one of the things that somebody's helping them with, or would result in a more expensive caregiver being brought in. So there's an enormous savings to the healthcare system and to our social service system. Just simply if we think about in the United States, there's no really good infrastructure for having tra- for transportation for the elderly. Um, there are many ways in which public transportations have have not been designed for them. And so people rely on the adult kids to take them to doctor's appointments sometimes. Well, that's something that we don't really have another way to finance. And those are the kinds of services that go unnoticed, but they, those are community services. If you don't have a child or a family caregiver, certainly we think of it as the obligation of the community to try to find a way to provide that. So to the extent that families are continuing to provide that, they're saving the system and their communities money and time and energy. And um, it's something that we don't recognize enough. There is an institutional bias in the United States healthcare system. I'm, I'm not as sure about how that translates in other countries. But here, there's really a focus more on paying for hospital care, paying for doctor visits. But we don't think as much about in-home care, which most family caregiving is. And so we don't have as many ways to to subsidize that, and instead families are doing it. Yeah, right. Now, I'm going to um, call the break in a moment because it is that time again, but I want to start the next one with Rochelle answering the question about the impact of family caregiving on Canada's healthcare system. So let's take the break now, and then we'll carry on with that question, as I say, afterwards. So it is that time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be back. Please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. Our topic is family caregiving in the Jewish community. Now, I want to start uh, with Rochelle to talk about the impact on the healthcare system of family caregiving in Canada. Rochelle. Uh, Much of what Rachel said applies uh, to Canada as well, except the major difference is we do not pay for hospital stays and we do not pay for doctor visits. Our system doesn't allow for that. We have what is known as universal health care or sometimes commonly known as universal non-access. In in times of of critical need and emergency, the system seems to come through. when it's an issue of elective procedures, that's an entirely different story. But I think the greatest problem facing our system is the growing needs and the shrinking resources. And when those two are put together, it makes access very difficult. Hospital rooms are available, but beds are shut down because the finances just aren't in place to keep all the beds open. Uh, This is very challenging and very distressing for those who have uh, sick people within their family that they're caring for. Uh, I think to a great extent our emergency departments are being misused and abused. People going to emergency in a lot of cases should be going to private doctors or to uh, walk-in clinics. Doctors are referring patients to emergency when there's absolutely no need. My daughter had uh, sinus surgery, surgery on her sinuses a year ago, and developed a post-op infection. The surgeon refused to see her in his office and said she must go to emergency. Nine hours later, because, of course, when they triage, a post-op sinus infection is not critical. Nine hours later, we were sent home with a prescription for antibiotics. Yeah. So clearly there is some uh, misuse and abuse of the system. But in general, it's the growing need and the shrinking resources that are causing the greatest problems. Right. Rachel, what typically are the approaches to family caregiving that are most encouraged in the Jewish community in the U.S.? Well, I think that the Jewish community is probably struggling with something that is true throughout the country, which is, that we're such a mobile society that people don't tend to live where their parents or where their adult children live. And sure, there are you know, 
some general things where, yes, you know, a lot of older people have moved south, have moved to Florida or Arizona. Their kids don't live there. And many people end up living where they don't didn't start. And so a lot of the family caregiving model in the United States is sort of sporadic and distant, not emotionally distant, but actual physical distance. So one of the things that's most difficult for us is figuring out if you're going to try to really help participate in the care of a family member from a distance, how do you do that? And there isn't a great way, even though there are some services and some programs in the U.S., there isn't a great way to find um, a meal service to come in and help your elderly parent who's a 1,000 miles away. There isn't a great way for you to identify local services for your mother in Florida when you're in New York. And so that's, I think, one of the hardest parts of this model that we're kind of stuck with because people have dispersed. We're starting to see um, some occasions of people who've retired to Florida actually moving back um, in their 70s or 80s to the the area they came from because that's where their kids live and they need to be closer to their kids and their kids can't just move to be with them because they've got kids in school. So that multi-generational pull is kind of influence, I think, at least anecdotally, we I have been hearing more about people who are moving back up to be where their adult kids are. But the distance is really a, an ingrained part of the family caregiving model and that means that there's a lot of um, sort of emergency caregiving, and it's much more difficult to be coordinated and for the kid, the adult child, to know all of their mother's pills and all of the allergies and the medical history when they're not able to be there all the time, when they only go when there's an emergent situation and they have to be a sporadic caregiver. Right. Rochelle, let me ask you, is this question of sort of distance and demographics that Rochelle has been talking about, does this apply in Canada too? And if so, what are the approaches and what are the challenges? I think it applies to Montreal because the Jewish community migrated from Montreal for uh, economic reasons years ago, and many of the parents of the children who left chose to remain. So I think what Rachel described would be typical for many in the Montreal community and perhaps even in the smaller communities out west um, where Jewish communities uh, between five and 15,000 people would have their children leaving that community and, and going to one of the larger cities. Uh, in Toronto, it is not the typical experience at all. Toronto has a vibrant Jewish community, and community and Jewish community resources have been built within the system. So it's quite uh, quite easy to arrange for kosher meals on wheels to be delivered as as often as seven days a week. Uh, Jewish hospitals, Jewish Jewish facilities, Jewish programs. It's um, it's it's just not the experience in Toronto. Um, the community has really established programs and services whether it's for children with learning disabilities, whether it's senior homes, Alzheimer homes, uh, facilities are there. So it's a driving force has always been to, to develop programs and services to treat those in our community with respect and dignity. Right. Right. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that community becomes important. And, you know, what you said about families coming back 
from retirement, so to speak, in a distant place, so that they can come together as families for the family caregiving. That seems to be, if I'm right, a kind of consolidation of communities. Is that what you're looking at? Is that, am I right in what I've just said? And if so, are there any challenges with that process? Absolutely. And, I mean, we're seeing a lot of different trends. So, yes, there are some people who are moving up, moving back, you know, from Florida or from another retirement location in order to be closer to family so that there is someone who can be a caregiver for them. But we're also seeing a lot of situations in which that's not the case. And so people are doing a lot of moving back and forth and traveling and trying to to be a caregiver on weekends and to be a caregiver by phone and to, you know, to be involved and to provide some of that service coordination that's so important, especially for older adults, and that's so difficult to do. It's difficult to do from a distance, and there are things in the United States um, funded by the federal government that provide some resources, and that's very important. Um, there, there are websites and things that are run to help you find services for yourself or for someone else in another location. But overcoming that distance, I think, is probably a problem that's a little bit particular to the United States because we are so large and the Jewish community really is dispersed in so many different places and we have so many cities. I mean, that's one of the things about just being a very, very large country with a large, diverse, and dispersed Jewish community. Now, I'm going to come back to that in the fourth episode in a way, but I just want to ask you both, and I'm afraid we have only a, a sort of just under two minutes each for you, but it's a very different question. In your involvement, Rochelle, with family caregiving, in your expand, extended family and your work with the Jewish community, what are the things that cause the sun to shine for you, Rochelle? That, that's a very interesting question, but I think I would have to say that gaining from other people's experiences, getting to know people that you would otherwise have no opportunity to meet, and being able to share your own experience and, and know that you are helping somebody else. I mean, once you've figured out how to navigate the system and, and get the help that you need, it's a lot easier the second time, and it's, it's rewarding on a personal level to help someone else navigate the system and not have to deal with the frustrations that you did when learning how to do it. So I would think that in, in treating community as an extension of our own family and we're able to fit ourselves in and fill a need, uh, I think there's a sense of satisfaction. So for me, the sun shines when I meet new people and when I have an opportunity to share some of my experiences with them. Rochelle, same question. What are the things that cause the sun to shine for you? I think that for me, I mean, my, my personal experience is... Um, kind of the, the driving force in that. Um, I have the opportunity to realize something that not everybody sees. When they think about a family caregiver, they think about uh, a family member who is providing care and then another person who is somehow disabled or dissolving in some way. And I have the opportunity to see that while my parents have gotten older and there are things that they cannot do, or things that they don't want to do because they're difficult and that I can fill those gaps by doing simple things for them. 
and um, and I now am able to do that. I can also see that despite the fact that there are you know activities of their daily life in which they're limited, they're also still able to not only you know keep my kids safe all day, but to teach my children things and to be a valuable part of my children's lives and of mine. And it reminds you that just because someone is older and because someone is experiencing what we think of as decline in some aspect of their life doesn't mean that their ability to contribute in some other way is over. And that's been a a real change for me in the way I look at these things. And it also affects how I do my work when I think about some of the older adults we work with that just because they need certain services doesn't mean they can't and don't also want to be volunteers in some other way, in a way that's maybe not physically taxing, but that they can do something else. Right. Going to have to interrupt you, um, because it is that break time again. Um, So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Rochelle Wilner and Rachel Goldberg. Our topic is family caregiving in the Jewish community. I want to talk now about family caregiving, which is more and more important, not just for families, but also for the healthcare systems and society as a whole in North America and beyond. So starting with you, Rochelle, let's suppose that you're back in politics now, standing for an election on a platform of support 
for family caregivers in Canada, what would be the three most important messages you'd want to get across to voters like me? Why am I not surprised that you asked the political question? Uh, uh, giving this consider, considerable thought and having been through an election campaign uh, and knowing how important it is to always be honest and not to overreach and promise things that cannot be delivered, I think the very first thing I would want to get across is the fact that caregiving has tremendous value and is appreciated, not only by the recipient of the caregiving, but by government itself. Uh, government has to acknowledge that family caregivers do make a valuable monetary contribution to society, and I think it's important for those in, in, in government to let the, uh, the people know this. The second message I would promote is that government and the private sector, whether through community uh, groups organized specifically for a purpose or through existing NGOs with a vested interest in an issue have to work together to find solutions. In many instances, it's not a matter of finding new money to solve a problem, but rather redirecting existing funds to something that can work better or meet more current needs in a more efficient way. And it's quite surprising how far a little bit of money can go when conscientious volunteers are managing a project as opposed to the same project being managed by bureaucrats. And the third message I would want to get out there is that government is ready to listen and to learn what community needs are, and that government will find a way to think outside the box and to find creative solutions to problems. It might take some effort and some convincing, probably some trust building involved, but I really think that support for caregivers is essential and government can work within reasonable means to achieve that. Great stuff. Rachel, same question. You're standing for election. Your platform well, is support for family caregivers. What are your three most important messages? Well, in my case, that is entirely um, hypothetical. I, I will never be running for anything. But um, that, of course, means that I can be more fanciful in my answers. Um, one of the things that would be important is continuing funding for programs and services that support family caregiving. There isn't an enormous amount of money for those programs. There never has been. And in these um, not particularly cheerful fiscal times, um, there's always a threat that some important program could get cut. Um, so funding for those programs that do support the family caregiver, like respite programs, they give you a way, if you're a full-time or, or um, large-time family caregiver, that you have the opportunity to have somebody come in for you so that you can just go out and get a breath and do some of the things you need to do to recharge to be able to continue to give and to take care. Um, we'd also like to see, as part of that approach, is to see continued de-emphasis of the institutional approach to health care so that we can find ways to support in-home care like family caregivers. And one of the things um, recently as part of the uh, Affordable Care Act in the United States, we passed a measure for long-term services and supports, an insurance program that people could buy into. And if they were to need care, they could, would get a lump sum that they can use however they want, and that would include being able to pay your family caregiver for their lost work or other expenses that they have in trying to help contribute. 
Um, we'd also like to see the medical and government service systems recognize the importance of family caregivers and so do things to facilitate family caregivers being involved and being able to access the, the range of information about services that they need. And we've never been that great at making that information available. We need to think about this third party, this family caregiver, and figure out how to make them a part of the process. And the other piece is always making sure that that recognition of family caregivers translates into meaningful things like workplaces that are friendly and promote family caregiving, which we don't really see. And there are countries that do that better than the United States. There are certainly some that do it worse. But um, that's a a point where we know we need to improve. And so that's one of the pieces that I would would offer as something we need to work on. Right. Now, I'm going to take the part of a... An, uh, an honorary voter in uh, your audience, and I'm going to start by directing a question to Rochelle. Um, I'll say, as this voter, um, funding is always a, an issue in healthcare. So, where will the funding come from? Well, you said transfer from programs, um, but why should it be transferred? What are the arguments you're going to use? to say, here's why X isn't as important as family caregiving, so let's shift the funds across. Rochelle. Well, it might not be that X funds are being directed to family caregiving or to to uh, an appropriate uh, cause. I think all programs have to be regularly evaluated to see if they're still relevant, and I think they have to be evaluated by individuals, not just in government. I think committees uh, need to be established for these programs that include the recipients of, of the funding as well as the, 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 the donors, as well as government representatives. Projects become outdated, needs change. And, and to maintain, I wish I, I wish I were the finance minister and I could say there is unlimited funding and whatever programs are required and wanted, we will be able to, to meet those needs. But obviously that's not the case. Uh, the, the government has to be able to assess programs on an ongoing basis and reevaluate whether or not they're meeting the needs. In some cases, they're doing nothing more than paying salaries. They're not meeting the needs of, of those in community who need them. And it's very easy to maintain the status quo. It's much different, especially for government, to bring about change. It's a slow process. And it doesn't happen easily, but all the stakeholders have to be involved, and decisions regarding the future of a project must be made in the context of need and priorities. And I think I would encourage community partnerships for developing new programs, because when community has a vested interest in an initiative, you can almost guarantee that that program will have what I call heart, and that's something that government can't and doesn't bring to the table. Right. Rachel, same question. I'm the honorary voter. Where's the funding coming from? Um, why should it be given to family caregiving? What are your arguments? Well, I think I have two main arguments, the second of which I'll probably forget before I'm done with the first. And the first is that the government is, in some broad way, the community. And there are needs that we, as a community, are not willing to see go entirely unmet. That's where our social insurance programs come from. That's why we have Medicare and Social Security, because we decided we were not willing to see elderly people 
decimated by poverty and living in the streets. That was not something we, as a community, were willing to tolerate. And so if we acknowledge that the government, as a, as a representation of that larger community, is going to try to find a way to make sure that older adults and other people who need services get them, then we're really talking about a question of which investments to make. And the argument for family caregiving, this is my second point, I suppose, is that family caregiving is incredibly cost-effective compared to a lot of the other options, which are often nursing care and institutionalized care. So if we can show that you're not only representing $375 billion worth of service provided, but even more than that in the more in savings for the more expensive kind of services that would have to replace it if, as a community, we're not willing to tolerate people's needs going entirely unmet, then this is a smart investment. Finding ways not just to pay family caregivers, finding ways to make family caregiving workable for people. It's not always a question of, you know, it's usually not a question of people trying to get remuneration for being a family caregiver, but it's a program to let them have a night off, and that might require some money. It's making something tax-deductible that might not otherwise be. So there are ways to facilitate it, making sure that your employer has to hold your job if you're leaving to take care of an elderly parent. That's an advance that we made fairly recently, but we need to continue to make workplaces friendly in that way. And those are things that have some costs associated with them, but mostly they're about restructuring our thinking about how important family caregiving is and how much money it saves because I think we aren't willing to let the needs of the elderly go so completely unmet that if family caregiving becomes unworkable for a family, we're simply going to let that family go. I think in many cases we're just not willing to do that. And if, if we're going to provide services, we should be thinking about a smart way to do this, and this is a smart way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Now, to both of you, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm convinced I'd vote for you. And I mean that not just as a joke, but also seriously, because what you're talking about is profoundly important right across North America in its various ways. I know things differ, but the fundamental principles that you've both been talking about apply right across the society. Now, one of the particular things that I've learned from this talk show is the way in which family caregivers who've traveled and maybe are still traveling the hard road of family caregiving turn around, look over their shoulders, and reach a handout to people who, and I don't mean a financial handout, I mean a literal handout, to people who are just starting out on that journey, that very hard journey. And I think those people also need to be reckoned in to the way in which family caregiving should be recognized and support. In other words, this is a community that helps itself in the way that you've been describing the Jewish community does. This brings people together. This creates, I think, a good deal of sunshining for people who do see where the future is and do see what the responsibilities for society are. So I'm going to say thank you, um, to first of all, to our listeners, to encourage you, please, to email us with your comments and questions. 
I'm going to say thank you to our guests, Rochelle Wilner and Rochelle, Rachel Goldberg, for sharing us with you know, your experience, your insights, and your advice, but also that sentiment of what family caregiving really is about. So if I say success to you both, what I'm really saying is please keep it up because it's vital to the standards that we believe in in North America. Now, in our next episode, we'll be talking about family caregiving in the faith community of Coptic Christians. Please join us, same time, same spot. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.